Well, good morning, church. Let me pray. Come on up, little reader, while I pray. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning because we need it fresh every day. God, we regularly use up everything you give us. Thank you for this day of the week. Thank you for helping us be here to start the week off. Thank you for those who want to be here but couldn't. Lord, comfort them, heal them, bring them back to us. We lift up our hearts before you this morning and we ask you to calm us down. Ease our minds, wash away our worries and our stress so we can focus on what we are singing about. So we can focus on who we are here to praise, and that is you, God. We will praise you when we are hurting. We will praise you when we are celebrating. Teach us to praise you when we are suffering, when we are hurting, when we are down, when life seems to be its darkest. God, teach us to aim our faith, our hope, and our love at you and not our circumstances because this life is but a breath a puff of smoke that none of us can grab teach us to trust you we look to you this morning and we thank you for Jesus in his name we pray amen open your bible to Luke the gospel of Luke this is Ethan. He'll be doing the reading for us this morning. Kids, if you have your Bible, open to Luke and follow along with Ethan. He's reading. Luke chapter 1. We're going to dismiss King's kids, but first, I want you King's kids to see this and understand that you need to do well in school. I need you to learn to read and write and present his heart rate is pretty normal without melting down, without freaking out. Uh, so, yes. You, can you do this? Not yet. All right. So, so Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Ethan. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that had been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were the first from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, most e excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the cer certainty of the things you have been taught. Thank you. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's from one grown-up to another, and he's trying to teach him something. King's kids, if you're in second grade on down, we have a special children's presentation church lesson for you. Let me count these. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All right, they can handle that. 
Maybe. Yes. God bless the kids workers. Uh, got some teenagers handling King's kids for us today. So let me do a shameless plug. Um, we have teens serving behind the scenes here very regularly. If you'll notice as a church, we don't do fundraisers. We have a, a, a set aside, a special account called Club 52. And we encourage all the grown-ups who don't want us to sell you candles you don't want us to wash your car. You don't want us to sell you Christmas wreaths. You don't want us to sell you chocolate. You don't want us to sell you anything like magazines and subscriptions. Please just donate money to the youth group and we will stay out of your hair. Can I get an amen? The challenge is $1 a week. That's $52. If every family gives $52 towards the youth group, it underwrites everything that we do. And uh, we appreciate that. And instead of organizing fundraisers, we try to go do ministry. So it saves us time. We spend more, we spend more time together. We've got plans for spring break coming up. Uh, that's just one unique way that we run our youth group. And I make them work. <laughs> we like to make them serve. We like to make them help out in nursery and tiny tots and king's kids. And they... Uh, Everybody's plugged in. Everybody's doing stuff, so we're thankful for that. Are you happy to not be doing King's Kids today, Helena? Yes. It changes the way you go to church, you know, when you're serving. It makes you appreciative. Starting the Gospel of Luke today. <clears throat> the title is Certainty in Words, because Luke is about to unleash a lot of words is that how you treat your friends? <laughs> That's how he treats his friend, Theophilus. Oh, excellent, Theophilus. Uh, this will be the longest New Testament series that we've ever tackled. Uh, let me give you a rundown since I've been here. Here are the books that we've gone all the way through so far. We've gone through Ephesians. We've gone through Ecclesiastes, Galatians, James, Malachi, Hebrews. We've expounded uh, all of our affirmations of faith and our church covenant. We've done the book of Philippians. We did the book of Proverbs. We just did a quick overview of Ecclesiastes, Job, and Song of Songs. So next up, we're going to spend a while in the Gospel of Luke. Before you even ask me where I'm going next, Genesis. We're going to do the first half of the book of Genesis. So we're, we're, there's this constant flow that I'm, this big picture thinking that I have of, of how important it is for us to go through large chunks of the Bible together, to read Scripture out loud together to participate, to have different people read and different people share, different people preach sometimes. We have missionaries come through. We're training up Marty um, and what it means to preach. And as we do that, sometimes we don't remember individual sermons. That, that used to bother me. Like, what did I preach on last week? Like, you don't know. Oh, yeah, well, that was Song of Songs. That one's, that one's going to stick in my head for a while. 
uh, what did I preach on, you know, on November of 2022? I don't know. I could check my notes, but very, very rarely do individual sermons stick. So it's really important that as we go through the Bible, that we get a big picture idea that God is good, that God is kind, God is trustworthy, God is gracious, God is sufficient, God is our great treasure, God is judging, God is forgiving, God is coming back. And as we go through all the pages of Scripture, all of these lessons should remind us of who God is. Even if we don't remember the outline from Isaiah, even though you maybe learned that a half hour ago. Even if you can't regurgitate the major sections of Proverbs, do you remember trust in the Lord with all your heart? Do you remember fear the Lord? So as we step into the Gospel of Luke, Certain things are going to make an impression to different people. And we need to absorb what Luke is trying to tell his friend Theophilus. Where is he going? What is he doing? In the Gospel of Luke, Luke is working very, very hard. He says in verse 3, to write an orderly account. I circled that in my Bible orderly account he's trying to give us a factual retelling of what's gone on with jesus but you and i know as soon as somebody starts retelling history they're interpreting we don't have 100 percent factual history on anything because we don't have all the facts from every event and every situation. We don't always know the weather. We don't always know the smells. We don't always know what happened the day before. We don't know what people were thinking. That's where it gets tricky. We don't know all the motives. Even if we're reading any history book, the moment somebody starts to retell things, they have to leave things out. All history, all narrative is interpretive. So as we come to the Bible and we're reading history, let's give this guy a break. Well, he needs more facts. He needs to give us more proof. No, he doesn't. There are many, many things in history we believe that have a lot less proof than the existence of Jesus. There are more physical documentation that Jesus existed than you do. When you count the amount of scripture that's been written down and preserved, the mentions of Jesus in the first and second century, there's more evidence that Jesus was real than you. That just a landslide of evidence, not just for Jesus, but for the reality of the Gospels. Luke knows the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew exist. He doesn't say they're inferior, but he does say he's setting out to order the accounts a little differently. 
I don't think he contradicts them at all. If I, had to, if I had to put a label on the Gospel of Luke, I would call it the enhanced supplemental Gospel of Luke. <laughs> the guy's like GNC. He's like, you walk, you walk into the Gospel of Luke and it just smells funny. It smells like it's full of vitamins. It smells like he's, he, he's added things, yes, but he hasn't added made up things. He's adding more facts. The Gospel of Luke plus the book of Acts make up 27% of the New Testament. He's written more of the New Testament than anybody else. Luke. It's impressive. These are not legends. These are not myths. They're not man-made. That's a lot of common pushback that a lot of people give. Listen to this quote. Show us the next slide. C.S. Lewis. All I am in private life is a literary critic and historian, even when he was an atheist. Highly educated, Oxford, excelled in three separate literary disciplines, knows literature. That's my job. And I am prepared to say on the basis, that basis, if anyone thinks the Gospels are either legend or novels, then that person is simply showing his incompetence as a literary critic. I've read a great many novels, and I know a fair amount about the legends that grew up among early people. And I know perfectly well the Gospels are not that kind of stuff. The Gospels are hi historical verifiable retelling of the life of Christ. They are based upon eyewitness testimony and they are real. But what do we know about this Luke guy? Your next blanks. In Acts 16, There's a transition in the storytelling. It's been they, they, they. And in Acts 16, it says, we. Oh, this is when Luke joined the party. We. He's called a doctor. He's called beloved doctor. He's inferred to be Greek from Colossians 4.14. In Colossians 4, Paul says, here's a list of my fellow Israelites, my brethren, and then here are some other servants that are with me, and they all have Greek names. So we're assuming that Luke is a Gentile. Colossians, or in Philemon 24, he's mentioned again as with Paul. 2 Timothy 4.11, possibly the last letter that Paul writes. Luke is writing it for him. Paul is in jail, chained to a Roman guard, about to face execution. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul writes to Timothy, Luke alone is with me. That's heavy. Luke has seen a few things. And this is what qualifies Luke to write the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. This is the longest gospel. 
He writes some of the longest sentences you will ever encounter in your life. Because he is apparently Greek, he doesn't use a lot of Hebrew loan words. He interprets them for you and makes it clear. So if somebody who doesn't know Hebrew culture is reading his gospel, they don't have to understand the meaning of word Sabbath, the word Messiah. They don't, understand, they don't need to understand all that. He clarifies it in his writing. He makes it clear. The book of Acts, his other big book, is the only record that we have of the early church. Where would we be today without Luke and Acts? You would not have the parable of the prodigal son without Luke. And there are several other places. Some of the most memorable things that, and favorite passages of Scripture that a lot of people have about the life of Christ, they're from Luke. Paul writes more letters, but Luke gives context, meaning, and deeper understanding to Paul's letters. In Acts 21, Luke travels with Paul to Jerusalem where he rubs shoulders, eats meals with, and spends an extended amount of time with all the other apostles before they are martyred. Paul introduces Luke to the inner circle. Luke is there. Luke has uncommon access to the people who are closest to Jesus. This is what qualifies him to write this gospel. And this is why the apostles and the early church put their stamp of approval on Luke's books, Luke and Acts. They trust him. They know him. He has put his life on the line traveling with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was no cream puff. He was not on vacation. He was not taking it easy. This guy was being beaten, shipwrecked, run out of town every turn of his missionary journeys. Luke joins him. Luke goes through that. He's not a soft and fluffy white lab assistant. I don't know what it means for him to have been a doctor, Probably that's how he got to know Paul. Paul has a lot of medical issues. Is this guy concocting um, salves and ointments and ministering to Paul? Yes, but he also becomes a beloved brother. And their relationship is more than professional. My beloved physician. Paul loves this guy. That's special. The early church immediately hailed this gospel as inspired by God and useful for the church. And there were no complaints about Luke borrowing from Mark or adding to Matthew's accounts. So we have before us a masterpiece of church history. And Luke does not appear to be concerned with, did this happen? He's not answering that question. Did this stuff happen? Nope. Let me tell you what happened, and let me explain to you some of the why. Luke has answers that are not original to him. He quotes people a lot. 
his biggest contribution to the New Testament is to make sense of the gospel and order it for a mind that is more Hellenistic or Western and less Middle Eastern or Jewish. I don't know about you, but that's me. <laughs> a lot of our culture comes out of that Roman, Greek, Western, philosophical tradition. So he speaks differently. He orders his sentences differently. And it's very, very useful. Write this down. <clears throat> so what happened and why? And he gives some explanations along the way. And then the next one, the Christian faith is historical and verifiable. Historic roots. Verifiable roots. History, real history. Why do we have four gospel accounts? Uh, you, you really got into my head on Thursday, Pat. It was good. I just kept thinking about this. She, she sees the gospel of Mark like, like a newspaper. Like it happened, boom. Like Quick. Like the, give me the essentials. I'm like, yeah. So I ran with that. So I see Ma the gospel of Matthew a little more like magazine, a little more polished. He took a little more time. Uh, stories are a little longer. Include some things that weren't like the headlines in the newspaper version, right? Mark, newspaper, Matthew, kind of the magazine. What about the Gospel of John? I see Gospel of John as a novelization. <laughs> no exorcisms recorded in the Gospel of John. Only seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John. No parables in the Gospel of John. Extended sit-down teaching session, sessions with Jesus in the Gospel of John. It's longer, it's wordier, and bigger, it's neat, special. So what do I call the Gospel of Luke? Uh, take out your phone. I know, you shouldn't do that in church. We're going to Google something. And it'll be in your Google history, so later on, when you pull it up, it'll be there. Ready? Uh, Google this. Unique features, gospel of Luke. Unique features, gospel of Luke. Now, who's not afraid to hand me their phone? That's too far. I want to take Dave's. He's got a big, bigger screen than you do. <laughs> He's got the old man screen over here. I need that. Somebody has a tablet, I'll take that. That'd be even better. He, he's bringing it up. Unique features, Gospel of Luke. Somebody got that? Chris, you got that? All right. Oh, that's, that's a young man's phone. Good grief. So, Google does a good job. Gives you some hit lists. Right at the top there, grace and respect for social outcasts. Prominent women support the ministry. Humor on the road to Emmaus. A revelatory snack in the upper room. Jesus is the subject of all scripture. The grounded history of the ascension. Now I'm scrolling down a little bit to where it gets to those uh, people ask section. What is unique about Luke's gospel? I'm clicking on that arrow. 
It's the only gospel to give an account of the final ascension of Jesus. Closing that, going to the next one. What are three events that are unique to the book of Luke? Clicking on that one. Um, We owe many of the most memorable parables of Jesus. The prodigal son is only in Luke's gospel. The good Samaritan, only in Luke's gospel. The Pharisee and the tax collector, only in Luke's gospel. The rich man and Lazarus, only in Luke's gospel. Closing that tab. What is unique about Luke's writing style? He uses a good literary style. Hellenistic, that's a word for Greek. Syntax, his language has a biblical ring already. This is a big one. Because in his own time, he's using the Septuagint style. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Not all Greeks could read Hebrew, but a lot of Greeks were interested in the faith, in the Old Testament faith, in the faith of Israel. A lot of Greeks are going to synagogue. A lot of Greeks are converting to Judaism, and they can't read Hebrew. So at a point in history, a bunch of scholars got together and translated the Old Testament into Greek, and it's called the Septuagint which is a big fancy word for the 70 because there were 70 major scholars that worked on translating it from Hebrew to Greek. Luke, when Luke does translations, when he's quoting people from the Old Testament, guess what translation he uses? Big word, spit it out. The the Septuagint. Again, he's making it, he's putting the... uh, the biblical story at a level that Greeks can handle and can consume easily. Matthew, Levi, is Jewish through and through. And when he quotes scripture, he's going back to a lot of Hebrew words and idioms that just wouldn't make sense to somebody from a different culture. Luke is doing a lot of interpretation by focusing on a different audience than the other Gospels. And that audience is you. It is a fantastic Gospel for new believers to read. His style makes sense to the way that we still structure sentences. His style makes sense if we don't have a deep church history or background and a lot of Jewish traditions and ceremonies and festivals. Luke makes sense on the first pass to a lot of American English-speaking Christians. Luke is good for you, very good for you. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Many. There are many stories written down about Jesus. He's using a a narrative style. And these things have been accomplished among us. Nothing he's reporting has been done in secret. It's wide open. It's for everybody. Verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, he's talking to eyewitnesses, and ministers of the word, we're going to unpack the word ministers in a minute, have delivered them to us. He takes the scriptures as personally. They're for us. They're not just for the apostles. They're for us. They're for regular people. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's for us. It's for all of us. Verse 3, it seemed good to me 
also, so he's rolling himself, he's assuming himself into the gospel tradition. They did it, I'm doing it, I'm one of them. Me also, having followed all things closely for some time. Luke traveled with Paul for years. It appears he took 20 to 30 years before he finished writing this down. Not newspaper. Not magazine. Not book. Epic hero adventure. He takes his time to enhance the gospel. He wants to reach his people. And it's so important to him, he doesn't rush it. He can't rush what he wants to say. He's going to make it an orderly account. And here's the purpose in verse 4. So that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Certainty in his words. And he's going to give you the words of Jesus. Certainty in his words, because he's going to give you the teachings of the apostles. Certainty in his words, because he really believes he's giving you the word of God. Bring it on, Luke. Even though you've got some treacherously long chapters. Luke will mess up your yearly Bible reading program. If you're used to reading, you know, 20 verses a chapter, and you come to Luke, and it's, whoa! It's going to be take me. It's going to be a lot. This is. It's going. I guarantee you, it's going to happen on a busy morning. When you think you're going to get off easy with five minutes, you're going to get Luke one, and it turns. Can you? Eighty verses in chapter one. Are you kidding me? Fifty-two verses in chapter two. What are you doing? What, Luke? What's going on here? Uh, he said what he's doing. Orderly account <laughs> and certainty. He's, he's going all in, and he doesn't hold back. All right, let's, let's power through some of these blanks here. What have we learned in these four verses? Uh, one, we have learned that he has familiarity with other writings, and he knows there are differences between his book and the other books. That doesn't bother him, and it doesn't bother other people. Don't let it bother you. Case in point, at the crucifixion, in Mark's gospel, the Roman guard is going to say one thing, and in Luke's retelling of that, that Roman guard is going to say something else. It doesn't mean one is right and one is wrong. One was right. Luke interviews more people. He also said this. There are a lot of times he doesn't repeat exactly what Matthew and Mark say, and he, he doesn't change it, he enhances it. Think, think, think of four people on different corners of an intersection, and then there's an accident. When the police interview each person, they're going to have a different perspective, and they're not, here's a police officer. And it's tedious. Can somebody just tell me what happened? You're never going to get all the facts. You're just getting perspectives of the facts. 
and then you interview the people in the cars. And it seems like they weren't even in the accident. Are we talking about the same thing here? Um, That's just human life. If you have more than one kid, you're going to get five different answers on why something is broken in the living room. And you only have two kids. How did that happen? It's because all of life is very complicated. Jesus is very complicated. The events surrounding his life are turning the world upside down. And Luke has a purpose and an aim. And he's bringing out facts and talking to eyewitnesses. Because when you talk, even the same eyewitness, it could be the same eyewitness that Mark talked to about what the centurion said. And that guy went to bed. And a few years later, he's telling the story. Oh, yeah. He also said, he said that is the son of God and he's an innocent man. It can be both. Just because there are differences in the gospel doesn't mean one is wrong or one is adding or one is changing. It, it, it's the same. So be open with that. Next blank. He is interviewing first-hand eyewitnesses, and he's one of them. He's one of them. He's in the inner circle. It's easy for you. And the guy's got stories to share. He's not pulling teeth, talking to people. Tell me what you learned about the sermon. Were you at the Sermon on the Mount? On, were you at the Sermon on the Mount? Which one? Like the one in Galilee, the one in Judea, the one near Damascus? Like, which one? And then they'd be like, hey, tell us about Paul. <laughs> oh, man. I think he's going both ways. He is sharing the faith. He's learning about the faith. And he has familiarity and access This is what makes him special. He still had access in those first couple of decades of Christianity to all the firsthand eyewitnesses. Just just time out randomly. If you were Luke, who would be the first person you'd want to go interview? Eric? Come on. Ryan? Joy? Matthew, I want to go talk to that tax collector. That guy turned from a terrible profession to following Jesus. Like, good, there's hope for me. I don't like my job. Jimmy, who would, who, who would you want to interview? John, the apostle John, the beloved, who reclined at Jesus' uh, breast. I want, to, I want to talk to that guy. Mary. Mary, did you know? <laughs> she knew. She treasured those things in her heart. She didn't always get them all, but she knew. That's my boy. Yeah. Uh, who, who else would you want to interview? Nobody said mine yet, so we'll keep going here. McKenna? Peter. Peter, why'd you stick your foot in your mouth so much? <laughs> Peter, what is your problem? Would it be more an interview or an accusation? I don't know. <laughs> or would it be apologetic like, I am you, Peter. Thank you for doing all the things I would have done. You're my bro. Who else would you want to interview? That's my boy. I would want to interview Lazarus. How did you die again? What did it smell like in there? At what moment did you realize Jesus was calling you? How far did you hop in those grave clothes? 
do you still have those grave clothes? Because you, you're going to need them. You're going to be buried again, bro, right? Like, Lazarus, how does it feel to come back to life? Lazarus, what's it like to be dead? <laughs> I don't know. I was dead. It's kind of the point. Like, what, 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 what? Yeah, that would be fascinating. One more, one more from this section. Who's somebody you'd like to interview? If you were Luke and you were starting the interview process, who'd be like the first person you'd go after? Paul? Yeah. Stephen, Mary, Magdalene. Oh. How amazing is this guy that he has access to these people. This is why we love the gospel of Luke, why I think he took his time, why I think this gospel is amazing, why it is God's word. Are those all people that were touched by Jesus? Yeah. I don't think he got tired of this. I think he just, and, and you, when we get to the end of the book, you'll see, like, you'll see why he wrote the book of Acts. He, he couldn't stop. I just got, I'm just going to, oh, okay, that's, oh, next book. He just turns the page and keeps on rolling. Um, it's encouraging him. The more you retell the truth, the more it encourages you. The more it gives you what you need. First-hand eyewitnesses. And then frontline servants, deacons and apostles, not just people who were on the street corner, but people who were in the car, people who were right there. Frontline, servants, ministers. I think he's talking to the first deacons. I think he's talking not only to the apostles, but some of those guys had families. Maybe Peter's mother-in-law. Like, he's, he's getting in there. And then it's a focused and orderly account. It's not thrown together. He has researched it. It is very organized and it's very intentional, which is why it has such length. He's got a lot to say. And all things considered, he does keep it very concise. As he's telling this story, history to us it is faith centered so much about what he says in the gospel of luke is witnessing and not preaching he's aiming to bolster and build up the faith he doesn't spend a lot of time defending it he doesn't uh, give a lot of explanation to many things he doesn't excuse people or cover things up he gives us all the what 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 with some interpretive why along the way See, preachy is telling people what to believe. Witnessing is telling people what you know. That's a big difference. The gospel of Luke is not, it doesn't come off as preachy. Now, he quotes preaching. He quotes Jesus' sermons and Jesus preaches. Jesus challenges people. But he's witness, just like you can be a witness. He's telling people what he has seen, what he has heard, what has happened. Sometimes he has to provide some explanation along the way. That's what witnesses do. Here's what a witness does. 
They tell you what they know, and they might tell you why they believe it. That's the explanation side of it. But they don't always tell you what you need. They're human. They know what you need. It's implied. If I believe Jesus is the bread of life, it's implied I want you to have some. I don't need to tell you to take a bite when I tell you how satisfying and good the meal is to me. It has hit the spot. It is good. It is refreshing. It is rivers of living water welling up from inside. You want a drink? You don't have to ask for it. They bring you the cup. <laughs> ah, that's what I want. And so much of his language and the way he, he tells these stories, it invites you in. You'll see yourself in the characters, the good ones and the bad ones. You'll see yourself as the one Jesus is ministering to because you need what Jesus is giving to everybody else. He's written the gospel in such a way that it's, it's easy to write yourself into the story. It's easy because it's faith-centered. And the struggles that all the characters have and overcome identify with all the struggles that we have and need to overcome. How does Luke bring order to the gospel? And I have to pump the brakes for a second. How do we summarize the gospel? Eric? God, man, Christ, response. God is holy, righteous, perfect, and true. Humanity is not. All humans have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's a problem here. God is holy. I am not. Christ is the answer. He's the one who's paid the price for your unholiness and made it possible for you to begin to be holy in God again. But it requires a response. We call that faith. We call that salvation. We also call that sanctification, the process by which we continue to grow closer to Jesus. Our salvation is not just a one-time event. We are saved at a moment in time, but then the bulk of our life is living, being saved, being sanctified, becoming more like Jesus, being transformed in our hearts and our minds and our desires and our habits and our patterns, being transformed so we can be glorified. We will be saved. God, man, Christ, response. Luke does that. He presents who God is over and over again. He shows the, the problems with humanity over and over again. He shows the sufficiency of Jesus over and over again. He shows positive responses and he shows negative responses to Jesus over and over again. As factual as it is, not everyone is compelled to follow Jesus in this story. And that's because it's not all about the facts. Some people choose to not believe that Jesus is who Luke says he is. That's not Luke's fault. Luke is not wrestling against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle and Luke has provided us a weapon with which to beat back the darkness. It's Jesus, who he is. That needs to come out 
of the book. <clears throat> Last little section here at the bottom. Four ways, there are probably more, four major literary ways that Luke organizes his gospel. And let me just tell you, this blows my mind because he's doing all four of these at the same time. Like, he sat down and thought about this. There is some reason and some purpose behind this because he doesn't just do one this section, one this section. Like, they're all working together, and it is fascinating, technical, and beautiful. How does he organize his gospel? First, he organizes it chronologically or according to time. Now, this is an Middle Eastern mindset, an ancient mindset for time. I think of it as he's, he's going a certain direction with guardrails. He's traveling down 412, and then he turns around to help somebody on the other side of the highway. But then he gets back on and keeps going. He's traveling down 412, and then he stops at the railroad crossing. He doesn't want to die in a nitrogen explosion, right? And then he stops at a toll booth. And then he's going a certain direction, even though with guardrails, it's possible to turn around and, and pause and stop. He, but he's still headed a certain direction, time, chronologically. And he maps that on top of the second one, which is geographically, according to place. He mentions so many geographical locations. He mentions so many specific movements of Jesus. Verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, that's a place, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. In chapter 2, verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, location. All went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. He's explaining everything, and he's tracing the movements of Jesus. And get this, geographically, starts Jesus off Galilee, and Jesus has movement towards Jerusalem and has a huge section in Jerusalem. And then Jesus dies outside and is buried outside of Jerusalem. So he's got this major arc going of Jesus' life. It's headed the same direction. Purpose. It is a drama unfolding. The purpose comes in four major movements. The front end of Luke's book focuses on the character and person of Jesus. Then he has this section of conflict and opposition. Yes, Jesus is popular at the beginning, but then that popularity seems to be tested when he lands in Jerusalem for the final time. Crucifixion, rejection. But it concludes his gospel with a commission. Jesus is the king. And the disciples are his witnesses. It's a celebration. This movement, which follows a lot of literary movements. 
You introduce a character, you develop who they are, they hit a conflict, they hit a tragedy, and then there's, they have to overcome. Then that's a story form that is common. And Luke uses that. He weaves that into the, to the time and the place and the geography. And one more, because this is a gospel. Theology. In chapters 1 through 6, there's an emphasis on Jesus as a prophet. Chapters 7 through 9, Jesus is emphasized as our high priest. In chapters 10 through 18, he goes back to the prophet idea. In chapters 19 through 24, King Jesus. He's not just a prophet, he's not just a priest, he's everything. Those time, place, purpose, theology, the way they map onto each other is amazing. There is so much skill and artistry on display in the Gospel of Luke. Take notes along the way. Take notes as you are reading. Whatever part of those, um, those four categories kind of intrigues you or catches your attention this year as you're reading through Luke, uh, the next few months as you're reading through Luke, circle, highlight, draw lines. Just, just, yeah, put a box around every time he mentions a location. The Jews knew where all those places were. The Greeks didn't. So he's tracing locations. You want to you wanna know about that sermon? Go visit that city. Go out and talk to those people. <laughs> Most of them were there. He, he's inviting us into the story. He's inviting his first readers into the story. And that should encourage us that this guy is writing an account that we can take for certain. The certainty in his words has not worn off, has not worn thin. It has been tried and true for a long time. And then, like I said, it's like he couldn't stop. He just turns the page and writes the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, he starts off with a bang. It just gives us more what and more why. Acts 1. Here's what happened next. <laughs> and then he starts explaining, and here's why. Here's what happened. Jesus said, wait. Jesus said, go. Jesus said, wait. Jesus said, wait. And here's why. Because, and he just keeps on rolling. I want to ask you, what stands out to you about Jesus from Luke's emphasis this morning? Prophet, priest, king, do you think Jesus is somebody you can trust? Do you think Jesus is somebody you can count on? Do you think Jesus is somebody you would live or die for? What do you think about Jesus? Luke is going to give you a really good picture of who Jesus is to a Gentile. He's going to give you a very thorough explanation of what it should look like, what it should not look like, And his words are going to pierce your heart because they're supposed to. Stand with me. Who is Jesus to you today? Bow your head and close your eyes and think of Jesus as a prophet proclaiming the truth of God and calling people to repentance. Jesus is the greatest prophet. Think of Jesus as a priest praying for you, interceding for you, trying to comfort you with who God is. He is a prophet. 
He is a priest. Think of Jesus as an enthroned king. And as you approach him, you fall on your face. Is he a prophet? Is he your priest? Is he your king? Luke presents Jesus as a prophet and a priest and a king who died so you would trust him, so you would commit yourself to him. Luke presents to us a Jesus that we should eagerly desire to marry ourselves to. Is that who Jesus is to you? Is he altogether lovely? Is he altogether worthy? Heavenly Father, we bring our hearts before you this morning and we say, make Jesus bigger. As you pursue us in the Gospel of Luke, help us to respond with hearts that are wide open. As Jesus interacts with the down and the out, as Jesus interacts with every corner of society and every kind of person, show us that he will act with us, that we are welcome in his presence, that he wants us, that he pursues us, he wants to embrace us, help us to get a picture of Jesus that makes us feel and know that we are loved. God, change us like you changed Luke. Help us to learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love, at the impulse of Thy love. Take my love, my God. verses for today are from Psalm 34 verses 15 through 18 the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry the face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles the Lord is near to the brokenhearted 
and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Amen. Your Lord dismissed. <laughs>